Well, good morning, and uh, thank you, Simeon. I promise I did not tell him what to say. Uh, Lori said, he is right on track with where your sermons are going to, uh, is, isn't it? And I said, yeah, for the last uh, few weeks, we've been right on the same track, Simeon. And it's great to be partnering uh, with a ministry. And, and uh, this is a brand new uh, ministry that our mission team has added uh, just this year uh, that we're able to partner with them and, and this great work they're doing over in Bulgaria. Uh, they don't really have uh, the advantage of colleges over there. And uh, so their ministers, like Simeon said, they, they're doing their best, but they need equipped to be equipped. And uh, so this work that they're doing is, you can see some pictures, it takes it right into the classrooms and establishing some great training programs for uh, these ministers and uh, so they can have stronger churches. So that's awesome. You guys get a chance to partner in that as you give every week. So I want to thank you for that. Thanks to Simeon for coming and sharing with, with us right on track with where we are. Well, uh, if you were here a few weeks ago on Mother's Day, um, we had 18 families that stood up. They were stretched all the way across the front of, the, of the, the auditorium here who dedicated their children to the Lord, committed to disciple them, but also to kind of paint the picture of creating disciples who make more disciples, a multiplying process. And I love the terminology that we're using. I love it that we're, we're partnering with people who are on the same track as we are and what it really means to be a disciple, what it means to, to follow Jesus. It's not just knowledge. It's not just gaining information. Uh, it is maturing and reproducing and making more disciples. I, I think maybe an erroneous belief or understanding of what being a disciple is has left the church kind of plateaued in America as we reach the place where we're kind of content, but we're not, we're not concerned about other people and reaching them as well. And so, uh, and I love how that's happening, not only in discipling uh, and, and preachers and teaching, but also in parenting as well. In fact, there was a passage of scripture I was reading the other day that I, was meaningful to me. I want to share with you. It's from Psalms 127. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And uh, Lori and I used to laugh about this. And at times when we had four kids at home, very young, say that we feel like our quiver is just overflowing. You know, sometimes it's just a little overwhelming when you, have, when you have kids, but now we look back, we see how God blessed, and obviously we've always been grateful for our kids. But that statement, I think, has some impact, some implications about what we are, how we're viewing our children as arrows. And just some things I wanted to throw out with you to, think, uh, to you to think about. That first of all, children are like arrows, need to be carefully shaped and made. You know, today we arrows are made out of aluminum in a factory, and there's zero tolerance of error, and so they're perfectly straight and everything. But in that day, when they made arrows, they had to find very straight tree limbs and branches and shave them down, and, and they had to be perfectly made. The point has to be designed. The feathers, everything had to be just perfect, and they had to be shaped. And I want to say, parents, this is our job today to shape our children uh, there will be a primary shaper in your child's life. I hope that you are it. I hope you're not expecting the school. we got great schools here, but our schools are not going to shape our children to be followers of Jesus. I hope you're not expecting friends. If your kids have friend, good friends, probably some not-so-good friends. Don't let your children's friends be the primary shapers. Some of those kids have great parents, but don't let those parents be the ones that shape your children. Do not leave it to TV, movies, magazines, books, internet, whatever may influence your child. That is not the primary shaper of the arrows that are your children. Here's another thing. Children, like arrows, are weapons of war. An arrow was not something you give your kid to play with. 
Not today as well, because uh, arrows that you hunt with have got razor-sharp blades on them. It's serious stuff. It was not a toy. Kids are not toys. You know, God's going to use them as weapons of war. They're going to be sharp, penetrative, offensive weapons to take the battle to the kingdom of darkness. So as parents, we got to keep that in mind that we are preparing, hopefully, and weaponizing our kids to fight a dark world and be prepared to take the light to the darkness. Here's something else. Children like arrows can go where we can't, where we can't go. You shoot an arrow somewhere that you can't go. It's much faster. It's much, uh, uh, it goes further, more powerful than you, than you could ever go if you shoot that through a bow. Children and teenagers have the opportunity to shape our culture, what lies before us, and they can and they will. And never forget that we are going to pass from this world and leave a world to our children they're going to need to step in and take our place. And so we have this incredible responsibility and obligation to shape them as weapons of war for the advancement of the kingdom of God. They will go where we can't go. Here's something else. Children like arrows should obediently go into the direction that they are fired. Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There may be times when our kids struggle and falter on that walk, but if we have, have led them and discipled them and instilled values in them, as we do this, they're going to then one day be released into a culture toward Jesus, hopefully, and toward the gospel. Our hope and prayer is that they're going to be saved and fired out as a weapon of war, obediently living for the glory of God, being faithful. And it's critical that we as parents begin firing them or aiming them at the right target early in life. Because the problem many of us mistakenly target success, money, prominence, popularity, status, and worldliness. And if you aim for that in your life or your children, it's going to be probable that your arrow will go exactly where you train it to go. So make sure that you're intentionally sending them to the right target. I think that, that, I thought that was, that spoke to me. It really did. I wanted to share that with you. And in this series that we're in now, called Like Jesus, Making Disciples Like Jesus Did, it's kind of become somewhat of a parenting series. But even broader than that, it's a, a series for all of us, a challenge to say that we have influence in our life. And the people that we have influence over, we need to start thinking about how we are preparing them, how we are equipping them, and what direction we're sending them in. So we're talking about making disciples. We talked about the fact that the way Jesus made disciples, he gives us seven things in John chapter 17 that he did. Number one, he revealed God to them. Number two, he spoke and shared what he was learning from God with them. Thirdly, he prayed for them. Fourthly, he protected them. And today, we're going to talk about how that he sent them out. And so here's what I want you to remember today, a very simple phrase, I am sent. I want you to think about that. If you forget everything else I say, remember, I am sent. Now, I've been in congregations where the preacher would say, turn to the person next to you and say, I am sent. I think that's corny. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I want you in your mind to think, I'm sent. I am sent. And whenever you leave here, we're going to send you out with that reminder as well, all right? But now let's go to John chapter 17, and let's read together. This is the prayer that Jesus was praying to his father the night before he was arrested and taken to be crucified. And this is the impact, the things he was thinking and praying about. He says, as you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. Now, hopefully, in that scripture, you, a word popped out, and that is the word sent, right? You heard it five times. Four times Jesus said that God has sent him into the world, and one time Jesus said, now I'm sending you into the world. And so the word sent is a huge thing. It's a big concept in Jesus' ministry. And let me give you a basic principle alongside of that about sending something or somebody, and that is that nothing moves without first being caused to go. Think about that. Nothing moves unless something makes it move. Your car, in a few minutes when you get in, is not going to go anywhere unless you start the motor and engage a transmission. That's going to force it to go. Or if it's setting on a hill, gravity might let it roll. But, but nothing moves without first being caused to go. So there is a prime mover in every movement in the world. A prime mover, and we know who that is. That prime mover is God. God is the one who moves everything. He moves us. He initiates movement in our world. And we can see that all the way back through time. If you go back to the beginning of time, back to creation, the Bible says at that point, Genesis chapter 1, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And you've probably read that before. It's the beginning of all things, before God created anything. That everything was empty and dark and formless, and God sent His Spirit. Notice the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And God sent His Spirit and then broke, spoke our world into creation. God moved, God sent, and the earth came into being. And from that we learned that God is a sending God. He sent His Spirit and things happened. Later on, throughout the Old Testament, we see time after time where God made things happen by sending someone. Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham from his homeland and sent him to Cana, the promised land, to begin a new nation, the Jewish people. Later on, when the people were in Egyptian captivity, God sent Moses to deliver them. Still later, God took David from the shepherd's pen and sent him to fight Goliath and began his reign or later on as the greatest king of Israel. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Remember that story? Jonah didn't want to go. The fish swallowed him for three days and three nights, and then he went willingly. Isaiah was called by God. He said, God, here am I. Send me. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God speaking, God moving, God sending, and amazing things happen. Well, we said a few moments ago that the first great moment in time was creation, but there was a greater moment in time. The second great moment that we even mentioned is found in Galatians chapter 4. It says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. God sent his son into the world that he had made. It, made. And this is the sending that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 17. When Jesus said, I was sent, this is the moment when God sent his son out of heaven, leaving heaven and his home and coming here into the earth. In fact, the book of John records this a lot. 40 times in one book, Jesus talks about being sent to our world. So the whole idea of going and being sending is a pretty prominent issue when it comes to Jesus. 
Because Jesus left his world, was sent to redeem our world that had fallen into sin. So God's always been a sending God for people who are willing to be sent. In fact, the word mission, you know, we know that you're going on a mission, you're being sent to do something. That basically comes from a Latin word that means to send. Jesus constantly emphasized the fact that he was sent by God as he developed his disciples. Later on, he took 12 of these men that he had been investing in, discipling, and he called them apostles, which you probably know what that means. In Greek, it means the sent ones, the one who was sent. Jesus used that same word, uh, apostolos, to describe who he was, the one who was sent from God. So he called these 12 And he appointed them apostles, and then he was going to send them. Mark chapter 3. He appointed 12 that they might go be with him, they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So these 12, Jesus specifically said, I'm going to recognize you, and I'm going to send you out after I invest in you. Again, it was relational. It was intentional what he did. He had a plan. Now, Jesus has left us with a mission. We call it the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28, but that that commission is to go and make disciples, to lead them into Christ and make make disciples, teach them everything that we have learned from Christ. Here at our church, we say it like this. Our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. So first of all, you become a disciple, and then you go and make more disciples. That's what we mean about moving people. You know, we're just not trying to move people from one uncomfortable place to another place. We want to move people on their walk with Christ. We want to help them grow in their relationship with Him. And knowing that nothing moves without first being caused to go, we ask, what is the cause that compels us to do that? And we find that in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. So the love of Christ compels us not only to move ourselves to follow Christ who was sent for us, but also then in turn to go, to be sent to others who in turn will prepare them to send them out as well. Let me show you how that worked in Jesus' ministry, how the multiplying thing happened. Sending was a big part. After Jesus had called them to himself, he discipled them, and then it says he sent them out. In Luke chapter 9, It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. So as they were sent out, they came back. Jesus listened to their stories and their experiences. He celebrated with them, high fives all the way around. He gave them advice here and there. He he corrected them where they were wrong. He encouraged them and then discipled them again. And then guess what he did? He sent them out again in Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You probably notice here that this time there weren't 12 going, there actually were 72 going. And isn't that interesting that maybe the last trip had been so successful that now there are six times as many who are being sent out to go and take the gospel to others. See, the goal is to make more disciples who in turn make more disciples, in turn make even more and more. Now, when those 72 returned and came back, they were full of joy and excitement 
and they came to Jesus. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. You know, this is one of the few, if not the only time, that we're told specifically that Jesus was full of joy. He was full of joy. In fact, he even says that the Father was pleased to reveal himself in this way. So if you want to bring joy to the Heavenly Father, to Jesus, the Son, to the Holy Spirit, then go, make disciples, and then send them out to make more. You know, when Jesus went back into heaven after his resurrection, he sent the Spirit once again. Remember, Jesus, God sent the Spirit in creation, but the Holy Spirit was sent to be with us. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going away, but you won't be alone because I'm going to send the Comforter who'll come and encourage you. And that's exactly what happened. The Spirit came, they were empowered, the church began, and they turned the world upside down. They changed things because God sent a part of himself to be in them. Now, the amazing thing is that when we become believers, God sends the Holy Spirit into our lives as well. It's one of the benefits that we have whenever we give our life to Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God expects us to turn the world upside down once again and continuously. But in that day, the whole city of Jerusalem was impacted. The whole city changed because of this small group of believers. But we also know what happened after that. Because it changed the world, the the Jewish leaders were threatened, and so they began to crack down on and persecute the Christians. We also know that the Roman government felt threatened by this movement, uh, insurrection they feared, and so they began persecution as well. And so for a time, the Christians were not free to worship. They were arrested. Many of them were put to death. But this persecution actually served to spread the gospel. God was doing something that wasn't obvious. He was going to send people out of Jerusalem because they were getting too comfortable there. You know, one of the problems I think we have as Christians is that we find a place of comfort and we stay there. Maybe why the church has plateaued in America because we've not had the passion and the urgency to get out of our comfort zone and share that with other people. But in that day, persecution forced them to do that. Seemingly, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem for the most part, at least for a time, but then the church members spread out all over the world and took the gospel with them. It was an extreme great spreading that God did, a great sending. And Acts chapter 4 says, chapter 8 says, that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Why? Because they were sent, maybe forcibly because of persecution, but they were sent to take the gospel. And you know, when you think about it, that really is what being a Christian is all about. It's all about mission. It's all about mission. It's always all about taking it, what we know, and going to others. Now, we're familiar with the term called missionary. A missionary is normally someone who goes cross-culturally and takes the gospel to other nations. In the case of Simeon, he is a missionary that we support. He's come to our country to share his ministry, going back to his own, which, which is awesome. He is a missionary. We have several missionaries. Last week, we heard from the Kleins who are going to Mexico to start new churches. Missionaries. We're familiar with that. But let me give you a new term because most of us are probably not going to be called to be missionaries, to go into other countries cross-culturally. Let me give you a term that we all should be, and that is missional. That we all should have a missional mindset. And that really describes a way of life, a way of thinking, how we even approach things. Where we see our lives as primarily shaped and defined 
by God for his glory and by his mission. You know, it's too easy for us, I think, to give our money and support missionaries, which is important. We need to do that. But we also need to recognize that we are missional, meaning that we are being sent ourselves, not into other countries, but into our own world, into the world you're going to walk out of this door in just a few minutes into, into the workplace you're going to go to on Tuesday, the neighborhood that you're going to be uh, dealing with, the friends, the hobbies, interaction you have with people, that is your mission field. And you have to think of yourself as being missional when you go, because there's plenty of work to do all around us. We don't have to go somewhere else. There's plenty of work all around us that all of us need to be involved in. So we both send people into other countries, missionary work, but we also view ourselves as missional into our own world. You see, the big picture is that God is ascending God. God sent his spirit in the beginning. He sent messengers through the years. He sent his son to come and die. He sent his Holy Spirit to be in us today because God has a big plan. And that plan is for the whole world, the whole world. Now, I, I think some things, the way that God works in certain ways is kind of amazing. And, and as I was thinking about this whole thing, I, I ran across a word that I wasn't really familiar with. It was called the word diaspora. The word diaspora. I don't know if anybody knows what that word means, but it's where we get our word disperse. Disperse. So in other words, when the service is over, we'll dismiss you and you will disperse. You'll go in different directions. That's what it means. The word diaspora means to grow throughout or sow throughout or to scatter abroad. And there was a time that God chose to use the diaspora for his gospel, for his kingdom. Let me tell you how that works. We said earlier that Abraham was called to be the father of a great nation. God gave them a, a line, a heritage, but he also gave them a land, the promised land, land of, of uh, Judea, of Israel. And that was their land. But you know what? God did not allow them to stay there. You probably know that the Jews had been forced out of their land many times. And they're scattered all over the world. There were direct sending. God sent certain people certain places. There was forced exile. There were times that the Israelites were carried because of dis disobedience into other foreign countries. Some of them stayed there. There were economic and political influences that led to the Jews leaving Israel until finally they were scattered all over the world, all over the world. Now, many of them have returned back home, but, but for many years they were scattered all over the world. And this process is called the diaspora. And you might think, well, God's people are just fractured. They're all over the place. But God had a purpose in mind, and here was his ultimate purpose. Because whenever the gospel began to make a difference in Jerusalem and Christian persecution began, the believers spread all over the world. And guess where they gravitated to when they went to other countries? Because they were Jews, most of them, they gravitated toward Jews in other countries, and there they began communities. Those Jews received the gospel. They began churches, and they knew by the nature of the gospel it was not limited to Jewish people, and they reached out to non-Jews as well. And God had a fertile place for the gospel to fall as those members of Christians who were missional, they left their land, and they went out, began other churches in other places. See, God, through the diaspora, had orchestrated the spreading of millions of Jews for thousands of years all over the world in order to facilitate the spreading of the gospel when it was at just the right time. I love to see how God works in the big picture like that. I love to see 
God moving in that way. Now, let me just say this. If God would do that, if God had that kind of plan, then you can be sure that God has prepared someone who will be receptive to you if you go. Someone who is receptive. God is preparing people because he has a big picture. The world around us that we go out into is our mission field. And that's why it's important for you to know that you are sent, that God is sending you out of this place, out of your knowledge, into a mission field, maybe one that you're very comfortable in or maybe one you're uncomfortable in. But let me tell you, that mission field is uniquely yours. Nobody else has the opportunity, the, the freedom to move about in that field, the credibility influence, only you. And so my question to you is, are you fulfilling your mission? Because you are sent, you are commissioned to go, but are you going? Are you embracing the mission that God has given to you? Are you being faithful and are you sending others? You know, we talked a lot about parenting in this, and I was thinking that, you know, my children are going places and doing things and impacting people I will never meet. I will never meet. Our son's in South Korea. Uh, actually, he's coming in on Tuesday. We're excited to, to see him. But uh, he's in South Korea. I will probably, most likely, never be in South Korea. But our son is able to impact students there who one day may be leaders in South Korea and lead them to know Jesus. I could never do that. I have no desire, interest in doing that. But the arrow that we fired is impacting people on the other side of the world. That's the impact that we can have through not only our children, but other people that we disciple. One of the guys that I'm discipling is Andrew Hager. Andrew has an, uh, an outreach here in our community and online, a big online uh, uh, outreach to people that I have no influence to, those who uh, struggle with addiction. Uh, Andrew is in recovery, has, has overcome that challenge or is dealing with it, and he touches lives with his honesty, his vulnerability, and with his humor. And, uh, and I, I have no ability to, to reach into the places that he does, but I get a chance to spend time with him, encourage him. He, he has a platform to speak from, and I want to help him be better equipped to be able to do that. In fact, this uh, next Saturday, he has an event just down the road at the Methodist Church called The Blameless Children, talking about the, the children of ad, ad, addiction and, and the struggle that they go through. But you see, when we get involved, there are things that we could never do, places we could never reach. But we have the ability to minister to people, disciple them, whether it's children or whether it's other, other Christians, and we can have a big influence. We can have a big impact. And who knows what your influence will do? Who knows how far that your, the ripples from your life will go as you reach into and invest in the lives of others? So guys, remember, you are sent. I am sent. And just in a few moments, I want to pray for you, but then I want to encourage you, now go. You are sent. Now go and make disciples. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you are ascending, God, that you sent your son Jesus into our world. God, you were not indifferent to our needs and the needs of our lost world, but God, you sent Jesus to come to live a perfect life, and then to die for us. And God, thank you that you invite us to be on mission with you. Not only are we able to have our sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus, but, but Father, beyond that, we're able to join hands with you and partner with you and be senders. 
to send children into a world as arrows of light, to impact people that, that we choose to spend time with and just invest in their life, encourage them, and reveal you to them, share with them. God, and then send them forth to make more disciples. God, thank you that we can join you in that mission. Lord, my prayer is that each of us as believers will have a heart and a passion to do that. But God, even beyond that, I pray that you would make sure that each of us here this morning have a relationship with you, a walk, that will guarantee uh, that we are a follower of Christ and that one day we'll be with you forever, along with all of those that we've had an impact in and changing their lives. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.